0: Welcome to the Change Lives, Changing Lives podcast, a ministry of Locust Hill Baptist Church in Travelers Rest, South Carolina. My name is Michael Hodge, senior pastor at Locust Hill. At Locust Hill, we celebrate the change that God alone could bring in our lives, and we also recognize the calling to share that good news with others, lives changed by Christ, changing lives by Christ. We welcome you to this podcast where we want to equip you to live in the reality of a life changed by Christ. Disciple making is at the core of a church's calling, and we want to take advantage of every resource we can to encourage you today. We invite you to join us for a service Sundays at 1015 a.m., Wednesdays 630 p.m. Our church is located at 5534 Locust Hill Road in Travelers Rest, South Carolina. Our website is locusthillchurch.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let us know how we can encourage you. Well, welcome to the podcast. I am here with the amazing staff. They are so excited to be here together around the table once again for talking about Gentle and Lowly. This is always our chance to come together as a staff. Love that we get to do this. We get to bring our calendars together, share about what's happening in our ministries, but also, we really have prioritized just spending time in the Word together and looking at some great resources. Back in the spring, we looked at a praying life by Paul Miller, great resource. But now we're walking through the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Portland. Jason and Will had talked about this book for over a year of trying to sit down together and look at the resource. So, the rest of the staff. If you want to blame anybody, it was Jason and Will's idea, okay? So, uh, but I'm Sorry. When this book first came out, I read the book and shared it with our previous church, and it really was an impactful resource for so many people. So I know our staff is already enjoying walking through it, so for all of our folks that are listening, you can think of this as your devotional book club with a 20-minute timer. Okay, so that's our goal, to try to get our discussion in in 20 minutes or so. And so let's jump into the conversation. The chapter is chapter 3. For those that have the book and want to follow along, the title is The Happiness of Christ. Last week we looked at His heart in action. So Jason, I'll let you set up the conversation.
1: I love the title of this chapter, The Happiness of Christ, because you don't think about you know what makes Christ happy, but that's kind of gives us our first question. And Ray, I'd like to throw that to you with, you know, before you read this chapter, you know, how would you answer the question, what makes Jesus happy?
0: You know, as I was thinking about that, I, I go back to World War One and the, the, um, the signs Uncle Sam wants you, mm-hmm. right. and, and for some of that, just kept playing in my mind this whole this whole chapter. I, especially, I, I read it two or three times, but I kept thinking about Uncle Sam wants you, right. Jesus wants you, um, and then I, I, I just turned back to Psalms, and I, it says, and "I shared this with my life group cla- uh, class the week before for all the animals in Forster Mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills." I don't need your bulls to sacrifice. I don't need the blood of your goats. What
1: I want is your true thanks to God. What right. I want, mm-hmm. and if that's the way I would answer. I want mm-hmm. you. Like, you know, I, that's good. I, I remember those signs too because the finger and yep, the eyes yep. always followed you, mm-hmm. no matter where you were. I didn't realize you were alive then. <laughs> so, I-
0: I know that was, that's an update for me. So. That's
1: exactly. so, right. So we'll, you know, as a follow-up, um, the key scripture verse for this particular chapter is Hebrews twelve two, which says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so Orland begins chapter 3 by quoting Thomas Goodwin, who wrote that Christ's own joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased and enlarged by. How would you finish that sentence now after reading the chapter?
2: I would say his atoning work. Um, See, Goodwin goes on to explain that Christ gets more joy as we come to him for help and mercy and You know, Orland does a a great job of explaining this whole idea of a doctor um, receives joy when he's able to treat a a patient. Um, And even more than that, a husband receives even more joy when his wife comes and receives, you know, healing from an illness. And so if we look at us being the bride of Christ, that's where Christ finds joy um, is us coming to him for, for healing and then ultimately being healed. Yeah, the
0: image that came to my
2: mind, my wife
0: does not like to shop at all. So for years, Christmas has been pretty much on me to say, you shop for it. And I'll say, great, I'll stand by cheering for you. So my joy on Christmas was always watching my kids when I got it right. I was kind of <laughs> like, yes. You know, you kind of watch the reaction to say, mm, that was a swing and a miss or when you got it right. So that's the image that came to, to my mind when I looked at it, just. Christ's own joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased and enlarged yeah. by us essentially just being blessed by that gift you yeah. know, of receiving His forgiveness. And you got to do that by following in obedience and submission to Him. Right. Well. So, Jason, mm-hmm. Christians intuitively know that it mm-hmm. pleases Christ when we listen to Him and obey Him. Mm-hmm. So, what would it look like? If his very heart and joy was engaged in a new way in our weaknesses and failures, that ties in with what we were just talking about.
1: It does, and and one thing that I think we need to really embrace and understand is Christ doesn't get frustrated when we come to Him mm-hmm. when we're for forgiveness, when we're in distress, when we feel alone, um, when we've sinned. Christ doesn't get frustrated because His life's mission, His sole purpose for coming to Earth. Was to show grace, to show mercy, to pardon, to forgive those sins, to offer comfort. I mean, it would be the equivalent of us saying, "Well, you know, a tiger can't change his stripes." Jesus can't not forgive. Right. That's who he is, and that's and so he embraces that. And I think what it would look like if if we really understood that is, it, it, it's a wide o- he's wide open. There's nothing that keeps us from coming to Christ except us. You know, and so as I think about that even further, you know, Dane Ortland goes on to, to quote, Jesus doesn't want us to draw on his grace and mercy only because it vindicates his, his atoning work. He wants us to draw on his grace and mercy because it is who he is. Christ gets more joy and comfort than we do when we come to him for help and mercy. And so Amanda, bringing you in to this question, what does it mean for Christ to be our heavenly mediator. Yes,
2: yeah, so
3: by definition, a mediator intervenes between two people to reconcile the situation. Um, our sin separates us from God, so Jesus came to reconcile us to God by living a sinless life and paying our sin debt on the cross.
0: So, And I love the way he described it. So we're in our sin, our failure, like you were describing, that mediator. And, and the word that he used, Uh, And this ties back in with what you're talking about, Jason. You know, what if his very heart enjoys engaged in a new way in our foibles and failures? (laughs) Apparently, foibles is a favorite word of Dane Orland. I put a note here. That's the second time he's used that word in this book. So foibles. Yeah, I had to look that up. So we need a mediator, like you were describing, because of our foibles. That's right. Our sinful failures.
1: But, well, I think the beautiful yeah. thing on that is he's our mediator in heaven, right. but he also gave us a mediator here on earth in the Holy Spirit. Right. You know, that, that, that helper, that comforter to perform a lot of the same roles as he performs in heaven so that we are not alone. Mm. Yeah.
0: So as a tie into that, to that, Sandra, I'll say, just kind of connect me with that question, what happens when we hold back and we don't come to Jesus with our
4: sins? We don't receive the comfort that we need and we're denying Christ the joy that he has when we come to him. Mm-hmm. It's
0: a beautiful image that you know, we're not getting what he has promised us right. and then we're not really taking full advantage of who he is. So, uh, and we'll connect this. This chapter talks about this a lot and it's all throughout the book that we're coming to his gentle heart. He is forgiving. So we take full advantage of that.
1: And he receives more joy when we come to him, right? He does, and I think there's an there's an open there, there's a, it's a two way street. That relationship is now two way because not only are we coming to him, but he's he's allowed to pour into us, and so it's a it it allows the relationship to open up and flow even more. And so, Tracy, when you come to Christ, when someone comes to Christ for mercy and love and help in their anguish and sinfulness. You're going with the flow of his own deepest wishes, not against him. So do believers think about Jesus's comfort when they come to him with their sin?
4: Um, I don't think it's natural for us to think about his comfort. When we're in that situation, we're focused on us and what we're going through. And um, I think more on his expectations because we're so used to the, human interaction, if I come to you with my sins and my brokenness, we naturally think, well, that person I'm talking to is probably uncomfortable with what I'm saying right now, and what I'm sharing. So I think sometimes we put that on Jesus to think, if I come to him with all this mess, even though he knows it all anyway, um, that we're making him uncomfortable. Um, so I think this section of the book is just comforting for us to know that that's what he wants. Like he is getting comfort and happiness um, from us sharing, and it made me think of even like being a parent. Um, I sat there after reading it and just was really thinking about that. Like, if my kids are really going through something and they're broken, and if they're in sin or whatever it is, I don't want them handling it on their own. It brings me comfort and peace knowing they're coming to me. And so I think it's the same thing. I think it helps you relate mm-hmm. that feeling of what he wants.
1: It's a great... Um Connection there of comparing the parent-child relationship. I know I used to tell my girls all the time, you know, I've been a teenager before. You've never been a parent before, so I know what it's like to 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 be a teenager. Let me help you, mm-hmm. you know. And I think Jesus says the same thing because he, he 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 took all of our sins. He was tempted in every way, and we'll see that later. But he knows what it's like. So I think that's a great. Great connection. Yeah, and tied in with
0: that, he starts out the book with that idea. He says, it is for that increasing suspicion that God's patience with us is wearing thin. For those of us who know God loves us but suspect, we have deeply disappointed him. Mm-hmm. And so it's that image that, yeah, sure he's forgiving, but he's frustrated with me. And that's kind of maybe our posture as we come to so. I think just understanding his heart, that he, he loves us, he forgives us, he welcomes us back. And, you know, you talk about the human relationships. We're coming to somebody, and we're not really
2: confident that they're going to forgive us. You know, it, it's funny, because he was talking about it, his girls. It reminds me of my my little sister when she was real little. Um, so one of the things I love, and it helps me draw, you know, boldly to the to the throne of grace um, is that we have both of those meteors, the Holy Spirit, you know, here on earth, and then the, the Jesus said at the right hand of the Father. Um, Sydney used to try to tell me stuff, and Michaela hung out with her like all the time, like was with her day and night. And she would try to tell me something, you'd see her get frustrated, and then Michaela would say it, and Sydney's like, Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when Jesus is sitting there and, and we're praying, you know, it ain't got to be pretty when we pray. We just gotta pray, right. and Jesus is like, "Okay, I can take this, I can use this." But the thing about it is, is our mediator here, the Holy Spirit, is always changing our desires to be more like the desires of Christ. Right. So when we pray to God, it has to go through two filters: the Holy Spirit, and then it's oh. got to go through Jesus. And then when it gets to God, it's like God's like, "Okay, I
0: hear you." I hear you. Yeah, that, we That's kind right. of have that idea I can pray for whatever I want. But if the Holy Spirit's working, He's changing my he's wants. He's changing your wants mm-hmm. and desires. So that I'm praying in line with the will of God rather Amen. than my selfish desires.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Katina, you know, going back to Hebrews 12 too, there's a phrase in that passage that says that looking to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That phrase, for the joy, What joy, what was Jesus, what was waiting for Jesus on the other side of the cross?
3: Well, the joy of seeing his people forgiven. Mm -hmm. And it brought to my mind, as like Tracy, I guess, because we're mothers, we think of things. But now that my children are older and they live in different places, I miss seeing them day to day. I miss hearing from them and I long to hear from them. And that's what Jesus longs for us. He longs for a relationship with us, but he couldn't really have that relationship before he died on the cross because Mm -hmm. he's pure and he couldn't be around sin. So his joy now is is that we have been forgiven and that now he can have this relationship with us and he longs and that's what makes him so happy. We think about that, that sometimes we're bothering him when we come to him, Mm -hmm. but no, we're not. Just like his parents, I'm not bothered when my children come to me. I love hearing from them, and he loves even more hearing from us and being with us. He wants that relationship. Mm-hmm. That's what brings him joy.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and you know when you when you think of the the whole book of Hebrews, you know uh, we see Jesus seated at, at God's right hand, and and that particular image is associated with his priestly atoning work. Mm-hmm. That's a very big phrase. It's a church phrase. But when you talk about his priestly atoning work, biblically, Michael, I want to kind of bring you in because you're the lead pastor, the senior pastor here, and you're supposed to know the answer to this, right? Well, I'm the priest. <laughs> you're the priest, yeah. So when you, think of, when you think of Jesus seating at God's right hand, what was the primary role of the priest? And what does it mean when we read that Jesus is the high priest to end all high priests.
0: Obviously, huge question. I love the simplicity of how Dane Ortland answers that. He said the priest was the bridge between God and humanity. Mm -hmm. So very simple idea. And you look at Jesus and you're talking about, you know, Katina, as you were sharing the joy of our sins forgiven, that restored relationship. And we see the priest in the Old Testament picture, and we can look through the Old Testament story into the New Testament, and you always see the priest working continually to try to prepare the people to encounter God. So purification rites, and then you have the sacrificial system. I am so grateful we don't have to do that on Sunday mornings as we gather. (laughs) We're having a sacrifice service, so radically different in the New Testament because Christ has fulfilled all of that. He's the perfect sacrifice. So now I'm not going through a priest. I'm not going through a pastor to try to get to God. And I think our folks have a hard time grasping that, that as a child of God, I can come directly to my Heavenly Father. And we see the distortions of that, that we're always trying to go through something else. And some would say, well, I have to go through a saint, or Mm -hmm. I'm even having to go through Mary or someone else that might intercede on my behalf. No, we have, the as we talked about, the Son is our mediator. Mm-hmm. He's the one. And so when we picture that idea of a priest, uh, everything that was complicated in the priestly duties was simplified in Christ. He paid it all, as we've sung many mm-hmm. times over the years. Uh, he sa- he satisfied it. And so we get to live in that freedom and joy.
1: I love the, the very last line of this chapter that um, Dan Orland writes. He says, Jesus Christ is comforted when you draw from the riches of his atoning work, because his own body is getting healed. Right. That's just a beautiful picture of that relationship of who Christ is to, for himself, but who he is for us. Yeah, And that's
0: an image that really has burdened me for years for the church, that we are living in our freedom in Christ. Because I, when we gather together as a church, if people are walking in freedom, if they are experiencing freedom in Christ, there's joy in worship. There's a desire to know him more. There's no reluctance to gather because I'm walking in freedom. But you have people that walk in and you can just see, even physically, it's like they're, everything's weighing on them. And they're coming in. They've been set free in Christ, and yet they just are heavy. No, like, oh, you're walking in freedom. And that picture here is comforted when you draw from the riches of his atoning word because his own body is getting healed. That's a picture of freedom so I'm walking in that freedom. The happiness of Christ is not that he's mad at me, but that he is more joy-filled when I'm coming saying, I need you. If you talk about a child to a parent, when a parent is talking to their child, whether that child is 10 or 30, when they say, I need you, you don't say, forget it.
1: Oh, nope. <laughs> hold
0: on. Nope, Not happening. No. We're going to say, what can I do? Yeah. How can I help you? Because we long for our kids just to come with that attitude.
1: And we would drop everything to help our children Right, go to where they are, help them where they are. Jesus did the same thing for us. He dropped everything and left heaven to come to where we are.
0: So that's my prayer for folks that are listening today, that you would walk in that joy of knowing Christ as your Savior, walk in that freedom, the happiness of Christ, that He's not frustrated with you. He longs for you to come and just experience Him. So I appreciate the staff reflecting on this chapter. We'll come back next time and talk about our High Priest. Again, we're going to come back to that image as we talk about being able to sympathize. We have a High Priest who is not seated at a distance from us. He has come. Knows our weakness. He experiences all that we experience, so we can come to Him as our advocate. So, thank you for listening today. We look forward to continuing the conversation next time.